Welcome everybody. We are very, very grateful that you are with us this morning. It's good to be together in the house of the Lord. It's good to be together with God's people, sing praises, hear God's word, meditate on what God has to say to us. Uh, we're going to be in Deuteronomy. We're going to be in several passages in Deuteronomy today. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to do a topical look, like we did last week, at this question of being chosen. If you've got your study sheet, you can kind of see some of the scriptures I'm going to go to. And I'll try and give you a heads up if you're in your Bibles, because I like it when you're in your Bibles. Um, I have pretty vivid memories of what kickball was like in sixth grade. The teachers would get us out for what they called PE. And, you know, the two biggest kids in the class would be the team captains, team A, team B. And then you guys pick your teams. One would go first, then the other would go. Then the, I hated that process so badly. I just wanted the ground to swallow me up. I was the youngest kid in every class I was ever in, all through grade school. I have an October birthday, and I was, I was the littlest kid, at least the littlest boy in every class I was in. And then, yeah, by sixth grade, I was the littlest, period. I hated that. Everybody watching people be chosen, and not me. Okay, I'll take Jim. So I gotta, I gotta tell you, when I chose to do this set of studies on Deuteronomy, this sermon today is one of the two reasons I picked this book. Brothers and sisters, we are God's chosen people. Amen. You. If you're a Christian, it's because God chose you. And there's some deep theology about that, and there's some super deep theology about that that we won't get to the bottom of today. This is one of the most powerful pieces of teaching that we've got in Scripture, it's, it's woven through the Old Testament, starts in Genesis. Why does God pick Abraham instead of his older brother? Why does God pick Moses instead of his older brother? Why does, that Why does God pick David, choose David instead of all of his much stronger, handsomer, hairier, greasier older brothers? Why does God choose who he chooses? It's a deep piece of our theology and it calls out of our hearts, the more we understand it, <laughs> enormous gratitude that God has chosen us. So let's think about that just a little bit. I've given you, if you've got your study sheets, I've given you like three scriptures uh, to, to help us focus on that. Two from Deuteronomy and one where I think Paul is just sailing down the Deuteronomy River uh, in 1 Corinthians. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 9, for you are a people holy to the Lord, 
The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth to be his treasured possession, his people. The Lord did not, in other words, he had everybody to pick from. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you're more numerous than the other peoples, for you're the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and was keeping the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Israel, you're not special, except God is being faithful in keeping his promises. You're not the most numerous nation. God had his pick, and he chose you. Moses doubles down on this logic in chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. He says, understand this, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving this good land to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. Remember this and never forget how you aroused the anger of the Lord in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Actually, this is just the start of an entire chapter where Moses lists off all the ways that Israel offended God and almost ended their national life, uh, almost lost everything, just in the last 40 years. He starts talking about the rebellion at the foot of Mount Sinai when they made a golden calf, and he talks about other things. You are a really not great people. God chose you. Now, the people that you're going to push out, they're even worse. But, but it, don't get ahead of yourselves, Israel, in thinking it's something special about you, that you're the mightiest nation or the best nation. That is simply not true. That theology is woven through <coughs> some other passages we'll look at. That when God chooses us, it's not really much about us. And that's hard for us to swallow. But that's one of the deep theological teachings that we get really emphasized in the book of Deuteronomy. And it turns out it's important. Paul uses that theology when he's talking to the Corinthian church. Jeremy's been teaching us on Sunday mornings about this church in Corinth. And one of their problems is spiritual arrogance, spiritual pride. They think that they are blessed and they are gifted with the Holy Spirit and they are gifted with the gospel, maybe because they're special. And Paul has this devastating series of statements he makes about that, and he ends with this in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 31. This is such a beautiful deflation. Brothers and sisters, think about what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. 
Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. For God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things of this world. I'm looking at you, Corinthian church. <laughs> and the things that are nothing to nullify the things that think they are something. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That is a crucial teaching of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And I hope you're seeing kind of the pattern that's going on. The choosing of God is what makes us what we are. I think you can go to Hobby Lobby or other stores and you can buy six pounds of fine porcelain clay for under $10. And you can mix it. If you mix it properly, you can make porcelain, you can fire it, you can paint it. About six bucks, well, ten bucks. Porcelain clay is it's more expensive than some other kinds of clay, but it's not that expensive. I think in 2018, an item was scheduled to be auctioned by Sotheby's, and it was advertised originally as a 20th century reproduction of a Ming vase. It was scheduled to sell for about $700. That's what they predicted it would go for. Two experts, I think it was two, came in and examined it. And to everyone's shock, they realized this is actually a vase from right at the turn from the Ming Dynasty to the Qing Dynasty. This is called the Queen Long Vase. It's not that big. It ends up selling, it's the most expensive pot that's ever been sold on earth, apparently. It ended up selling for $18 million. Now it contains what today you can buy for 10 bucks. It contains, you know, this kind of clay, porcelain clay. Is it the clay that made this pot worth $18 million. It's not. It's the maker of the pot. It's the potter. We aren't chosen because we are special. Everything special about us is because God has chosen us. We are the pots, people. If you've been in our Wednesday night Bible class on Romans, Paul talks about this a lot in Romans. We are the pots. God is the potter. And what's special about you and what's special about Wilshire 
And what's special about the church all over the world comes from the fact that God is the potter. And he's chosen to spend his love and care to shape us. And he promises to shape us more. And if we don't get that message, there are some bad consequences that happen. Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, quoting the Old Testament. But it is easy to reverse that and start boasting in ourselves. God chose me, or God chose us, because we have better doctrine. Or God chose us because we have better morality. We handle marriage and sexuality and drugs and alcohol and other things. We handle that better than the people in the world. And sometimes, Jeremy, you and I, and other preachers, we will emphasize how important it is to have good doctrine and have, how important it is to have good morality, because it is. But we can't hit that so hard that you begin to think, yeah, and that's why I'm special. I'm really just better than everyone. Because if you start thinking that way, if you start boasting in yourself rather than in the Lord, there's a flip side to that logic. If I'm better, God loves me because I'm better, what does God feel about the people who have bad morality? What does God feel about the people who have bad doctrine? And therefore, what should I feel about those people? Israel, over their national history, and certainly by the time Jesus came, felt like part of what it meant to be a true Israelite was to have a level of kind of hatred of the other nations, contempt for the Gentiles. So it is a real pathology that people, individuals, and groups can fall into that our church can start to have contempt for people that haven't received the blessings that we've received. And Paul, I think, sailing down the Deuteronomy River says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Everything that is special about you, everything that's special about us, is because of God's choosing. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This does not change. Moses is full of exhortations to the Israelites, you need to obey God. You need to be righteous. But what we need to realize is that obedience to God, obeying his law in the Old Testament, obeying the commandments of Christ in the New Testament, that is the hands of the potter on us. You have no hope if you will not let the potter shape you into what he wants you to be. The writer of Deuteronomy, Moses goes on. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 32 says, Ask now 
about the former days. Look back in the past, he says. Long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth, as from one end of heaven to the other, survey the whole world, survey the whole length of human history, has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of the fire as you have and lived? If you hear the voice of God, it's right before God wipes you out. And you guys heard the voice of God and God chose you instead. Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testing, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire and you heard his words from out of the fire. Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into the land to give you for your inheritance as it is today." Why? Because he loved your ancestors. It's not really you, Israel. The Israel that God found in Egypt was messed up. They were idolatrous. They were immoral. They were murderous. They were hateful. We know that because that's the way they acted once they came out of Egypt. The God that, that the, the Israel that God brought out of Egypt were messed up. But the potter chose that lump of clay out of all to say, I'm going to shape this and make, make them into my people. Why? Moses here says, because of your ancestors. That's the same logic that's given back over in chapter 7, that it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors and in verse 9 of chapter 7, Moses adds this kicker, just going back to that passage. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. The fact that God scoops you up is a reflection of the fact that God is being faithful to his promises and plans for the whole world. He chose your little lump of clay to make into something special as a part of this grand purpose of his. It's God's faithfulness on display. That's what Moses tells the Israelites. He was keeping his promises to your ancestors. You should learn the lesson that God is faithful. And that's the same lesson we are supposed to learn. God chooses us because God is fulfilling his promises and plans for the world. Jesus Christ came into the world so that God's will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. He walks through the world doing the will of the Father. But more than that, 
bringing the kingdom into reality in the world. And what's special about you, church, what's special about Wilshire, is that you now walk in the kingdom built by Jesus Christ. As a part of the plan God made from the beginning. From before the beginning, according to Ephesians. God is faithfully keeping his promises. And what's special about us is that we're part of that. That God is bringing his kingdom into the world through this church. And the other churches like us. The writer of Deuteronomy in chapter 10 says this, starting in verse 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heaven, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you their descendants above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourself were foreigners in Egypt. It's interesting that after listing all the ways in which Israel was faithless in the wilderness, and appealing to the fact that God is faithful even when we are faithless, he says. And understand this about the God that's chosen you. God that's chosen you chooses to look at those who are the weakest, the most helpless. And if you take a lesson from that, if you take theology from that, take this. The more we understand what a wonder it is that God has chosen us, the more we choose to help the most helpless. God loves the fatherless, the orphans. God loves the widows. He's not like human judges where the rich and the powerful can twist justice, slip a little money here, put a little influence there, and get the rulings that they want in the courts. God sees and judges Perfect justice, no partiality, can't be bribed. So you do that. The immigrant, the foreigner in your land, who's always vulnerable to the majority, always able to be taken advantage of if people decide they want to, God's eyes are on them too. And so our eyes turn to them. In the next few weeks, Wilshire and other churches are going to have opportunity to help welcome refugees from Afghanistan into our city. And I know we're going to respond because that's the history of this church, Amen. to respond to those kinds of needs. But another reason we're going to respond is because God's eyes are on those people who are most vulnerable. Like the immigrants, like the foreigners who've been displaced. 
God, the more I become aware that God reached down and took this pretty much worthless clay and is shaping something worthy of heaven out of it, the more I realize that's happened, the more I want to reflect that in my own life by helping others. Now, oftentimes when we go into a new social situation, we've got a job to do, we've got uh, people to impress, and we look around and we say, who is it here that if I make friends with them, they can kind of help me? Who can help me do what it is I need to get done? Who, who is it that can help me, you know, rise in other people's eyes? Who's, who's, who am I going to look good if I'm standing next to them? We can't help but think that way. Even, who do I enjoy being around more? Again, we, it's hard for us to think any other way but that. And some of that's built in and comes from God's creation. Some of it's not so great, comes from the fall. But the more we realize God just reached down and took something that was just clay and is making us into something magnificent for his kingdom, priceless, the more we also have this thought, not just who around here can help me, but who around here can I help the most? Who needs my help the most? And I'm in a position to give it. That starts to become also a natural thought for those who are part of God's chosen people. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, thank you so much. We are astonished the more we think about the fact that you have chosen us, that you have decided to make us your chosen people. And God, we want to yield ourselves to your making. We want to yield ourselves to the hands of the potter so that every day more and more we assume the shape you want us to have. And God, we want to help those around us to the extent you give us strength. We want to be generous. We want to be loving. We want to be forgiving. God, give us the power to do these things. God, give us the power. Put the words in our mouths and the courage in our hearts to tell people the story of how you have saved us and of how they can be saved too. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.